It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Today we're talking cell phone batteries with our guest, Tony Griffin. Tony is a National Defense Science and Engineering graduate fellow and PhD candidate in the uh, Autonomous Material Systems Group at the University of Illinois. He has helped commercialize a technology developed by Professors Scott White, Nancy Sotos, and Jeff Moore, which prevents lithium-ion-based battery fires and extends the life of the battery. The startup, Autonomic Energy Systems, claimed a top prize at the 2017 COZAD New Venture Competition. Tony, welcome to the program. Awesome. Thanks uh, for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. Well, let's start off at the basics because there are a lot of questions, people that uh, have cell phones. Um, I know that there are advice that uh, they give. Uh, don't leave your cell phone plugged in overnight, such the case. Can you talk about what this standard requests are and, and why that is? Sure, sure. So basically, as we all kind of know, we want our cell phone batteries to last longer and longer. So what companies have been doing is trying to pack more and more energy into the same small space that a battery has in a cell phone or even in things like electric vehicles. You know, they're really trying to reduce weight and save space while providing you with as much energy as possible. Now, what this has led to is uh, something called thermal runaway. Now, when batteries are, say, quick charging is a hot new thing today, um, so you can charge your cell phone in, you know, an hour or less uh, with quick charge technology. And all of these new technologies are really stressing uh, cell phone batteries or even electric vehicle batteries. Um, and these batteries, you know, heat up as you charge them and discharge them really quickly. I mean, anyone who has a cell phone can tell you this. But... Uh, this can lead to something called thermal runaway. And when thermal runaway occurs, basically the battery starts to go into, again, a runaway process, which eventually causes it to set on fire and, you know, explode, essentially. And that can be a serious problem um, in, uh, you know, consumer electronics, as we've seen with the Samsung Galaxy Note 7, or even in electric vehicles, some early problems with Tesla. So why is it, it always seems like uh, if you have a, uh, um, a two-year contract, say, uh, when you get to about the 18-month point, your cell phone all of a sudden doesn't keep a charge. So why, can you explain that process and, and why is it that uh, I don't get as much uh, charge as I did when I first bought the phone versus, you know, later on in life? Yeah, definitely. So basically, every time you charge and then use your phones, every time you charge your battery and then it goes back down to zero, inside the battery, you're getting a small amount of expansion and contraction. Basically, the battery is growing ever so slightly and then contracting on discharge. And when that happens, small cracks are introduced inside the battery every time you charge and discharge. And this really isn't a problem until they start to add up. So you get a lot of electrical disconnection, and a lot of that battery ends up not being useful after, you know, six months, a year, 18 months. And that's where you really start to lose what we call the capacitive lifetime of the battery. So really, a lithium-ion battery is almost worthless after two, 
uh, three years of use because it just can't hold that charge. You know, on day one, your cell phone battery may last you, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours, but after a couple of years, it lasts you, you know, maybe two hours of right. continuous use. So it's a real problem. A lot of people say, you know, why can't we have these batteries that I don't have to charge for two or three days? But uh, I know that of, it seems like all the time your your cell phone is doing more and more uh, computation and more and more. So I'm sure that's that's draining a lot of the power. And, and you know, what, do, do you foresee a, a, a time where maybe uh, cell phone batteries last much longer than they do now? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a competition. So as uh, battery manufacturers try and pack more and more energy into the battery, one, it's more susceptible to setting on fire. And two, if you want a really high amount of energy to start with, you'll actually lose it faster. And this is the same with the quick charge technology. So the faster you charge your cell phone, it actually will degrade faster. So your battery will last even shorter than it already does with things like quick charge technology. That's kind of where autonomic energy systems comes in. We really want to revolutionize the battery industry by mitigating the problem so that you can have really high energy batteries that last a long time and that you don't have to worry about them setting on fire, you know, in your home or while you're driving your car. Well, let's talk a little about your technology. How is it different? Um, you know, it sounds like there was, there's a lot of competition out there for uh, this specific problem. Uh, everybody has that this issue. Talk a little bit about your technology and, and how it's different than, than what currently exists and what maybe your competition might be down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So from a very basic perspective, essentially what we do is we use these uh, tiny little containers called microcapsules. Microcapsules are used in all sorts of industries. You know, uh, time-release fertilizer, time-release drugs, scratch and st- uh, sniff technology, even flavor-extended gum uses microcapsules. So they're pretty well-known. But what we've done is we've developed four uh, patented technologies um, where these microcapsules contain uh, a couple of different things. One of those things is a flame retardant. So we can make these capsules very small, smaller than a human blood cell. And we actually put them inside the battery when it's manufactured. So these capsules, basically the shell, um, think of like a gusher, uh, will dissolve when, the te- when it gets too hot, releasing this flame retardant and preventing the battery from even being able to set on fire, even uh, at exposure of direct flame from an external source. The other microcapsules we have, instead of containing a flame retardant, they contain a conductive additive. They also go inside the battery when it's manufactured. And essentially, when these small cracks I was talking about occur in the battery as we you know, charge and discharge, these microcapsules will heal those cr- cracks, you know, connecting all parts of the battery again and really give you an extended lifetime of the battery. So a battery can last, you know, much longer than, you know, a, uh, a normal battery without our additives. Now, in terms of competition, there's a lot of other people looking at, uh, you know, battery safety, especially um, or increasing energy density. 
And what we found, uh, you know, just through talking to a bunch of different battery manufacturers, different uh, companies that are, you know, high users of batteries, um, is that, you know, batteries need to be cheap. You know, they're in almost everything nowadays, electric vehicles, uh, cell phones, laptops, you know, handheld devices, even, you know, Bluetooth headphones that everyone's wearing now. Um, so batteries need to be really cheap and are the way we can produce microcapsules, because it's so well known from previous industries, we can make them in very high volume, very cheaply. And maybe the biggest advantage is the ease of integration into current manufacturing. So whereas a lot of our competitors are asking manufacturers to change their entire process, their entire floor, the way they go about making batteries, it's a huge upfront capital investment that they don't want to you know, commit to. So when we come along, we don't ask them to change anything. We're like, just drop this in, just add it, no extra machinery required, no change to your process, um, and you get the benefits. So really, I think it's the ease of integration along with the, with the low cost of the technology. Well, this is a group that has, for years, been a, a self-healing materials group. And, you know, at what point did they say we can use the self-healing process? I mean, I know that they've done paint. So, for instance, if paint gets chipped, um, it can heal itself. Um, great for when you get the, the nicks on, on your car and that sort of thing. At what point did they decide, hey, we're going to this, – this is a great technology they can apply to lithium-ion batteries? Yeah, I think the idea really kind of came about back in 2010, 2011, and the initial works uh, was published in 2012. So it's been around for a while now. But with, you know, any type of new research development, you know, it needs to spend some time in the lab, mature, uh, you know, we need to refine it for, you know, commercial batteries, whereas we started off, you know, very simple testing, and now we've gotten more advanced more towards the commercial battery side of things. Um, so it's really been under development for the last six years. But, yeah, it was about 2010, 2011 that this work started. And you talked about the fact that um, you can you can set it on fire and if, if the battery won't catch on fire. What Talk about some of the experiments and things that you've been able to do in the lab to, to prove the technology. Yeah, so we've tried a lot of different stuff to, like, get batteries to set on fire. Um, I've used, like, an arc welder to, like, set them on fire, um, introducing a short into the battery when we make them. We just make fairly small batteries in the lab right now. Um, and then my favorite demonstration is just poking a hole in the battery and taking a barbecue lighter to it. Um, <laughs> and with a, a standard lithium-ion battery, it'll just it'll set on fire it'll burst into flames and you know it's a it's a pretty light show but uh maybe not so good if it's in your pocket or uh, you know there's 28,000 of them in front of you in a car um whereas our battery uh it's like trying to set water on fire you, ju- you it it can't be done so you know i do the same thing poke a hole in the battery put a barbecue lighter to it and it just won't set on fire. And the reason for that is is this flame retardant has released, and this is a f- commercially available flame retardant, and has just, you know, gone throughout the battery, and you just it's just not possible to set on fire, even if you're exposing it to external flame. 
which is a very rare case. It's more likely that an internal short will happen, which is a much milder scenario. So we're really putting it to the extremes to see, you know, can it, you know, uh, can it work under the most extreme conditions and then kind of backtracking from there and, you know, making sure everything, uh, everything's working at all stages. So you're, I'm sure at a point now where the technology is proven, how then do you go about making this a commercially viable product? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the most important things is kind of understanding what the customers want. And this is really a two-sided approach because there's two big groups. One is the battery manufacturers themselves. These are groups like LG Chem, Samsung, uh, S, uh, STI, and uh, A123 Systems are a few. BYD Corporation, SAFT. Uh, there's a number of large lithium-ion battery manufacturers. But a lot of these manufacturers simply build their batteries to what the customers want. Big groups like Apple or GM or Tesla, you know, they basically will design a battery and then tell the manufacturer to make it. So it's kind of looking at the manufacturers, talking to them, asking them, you know, what do you think would be, you know, what's the best way for us to prove this to you? What's the best way for us to convince you that you should incorporate this? And then also going to groups like, you know, GM, Schneider Electric, GE Energy, um, Tesla, and asking them, uh, Apple and Samsung, uh, two on the consumer electronics side, asking them, you know, what would you like to see out of your batteries? What, how could we make your batteries better? What would you be willing to pay for it? Um, and what exactly what type of battery because there's a couple different types of lithium-ion batteries you know which exact one would you like us to prove this system in um so it's really understanding you know what do the customers need to see and then you know going back to the lab and you know uh experimenting and proving those demonstrations and then coming back to the customer so it's a lot of customer discovery right now i know before we uh started our uh, discussion here um, in the podcast, you talked about that people are they're going away from the AA, AAA. The lithium-ion battery is is kind of where it's at. Um, talk a little bit about that in terms of the revolution and and I mean obviously your technology would fit right in. There's a there's a reason you're focusing on the lithium-ion battery because it's becoming even more popular. Yeah, so I mean even I would say ten years ago, twenty years ago. Almost everything from, I mean, you can think of video game controllers to, you know, headphones had AA batteries or AAA batteries. And whenever the charge would run out, you'd throw them away. And that was its own process, you know, throwing away those batteries and you'd have to buy new ones. And you're going out buying packs of 20, 30 batteries. No one wants to do that anymore. And lithium-ion batteries have become cheap enough where, you know, you have, you know, these Bluetooth earbuds and they have tiny little lithium-ion batteries in them all you know the cars are all becoming electric uh you know volvo committed to fully electric line um in the 2020s and uh, you know tesla's you know just blowing up the you know there's more cell phones than ever more connected devices than ever and no one wants to replace batteries no one wants to go to you know their local store and buy you know a pack of 10 or 20 batteries every couple months because it's it's a it's a waste of money when you can just get something with a rechargeable battery 
Um, and so as more and more devices become wireless, but you need you want to recharge them, the lithium-ion battery market has just exploded, and especially with electric vehicles where you're putting thousands of batteries or massive batteries to power something like a car. So, you know, between, you know, vehicles and uh, the growth of consumer electronics, it's really blown up. And then there's an emerging segment that I think a lot of people don't talk about, which is grid storage. So a lot of people don't really understand how, you know, energy is produced and stored so that, you know, the lights are always on or that in the event of a power outage, a hospital or an office building still has power. You know, there's gas generators, but there needs to be, you know, something to fill that gap uh, or even data centers that, you know, cannot go, you know, a Google data center. If there's a power outage, the power to the data center cannot go out. And a lot of those backup power units nowadays, um, even ones, you know, in the personal home, are lithium-ion batteries, and that's a huge uh, kind of growing segment that people don't really know about yet. Mm-hmm. So I think our listeners would say, I want this today. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely, we, we want to um, – where, where do you stand now? How, how soon can we expect this to, to trickle down into the consumer where the consumer really notices that there's, uh, there's a difference? Yeah, so we've proven this technology in real lithium-ion batteries, you know, coin cells and pouch cells, which is what most consumer electronics or vehicle batteries are. But um, we need to kind of prove everything out. There's a lot, if you look at any lithium-ion battery, you'll see a bunch of numbers and symbols on it. These are all the test standards, stuff like underwriters labs or ISO standards. Um, and so we need to put our technology into the exact batteries that consumers want, number one, and then we need to prove, you know, go through all of these testing standards. But we believe, you know, potential customers and battery manufacturers can kind of work with us, do joint development agreements, um, and help us prove out a lot of these long list of standards. Um, And, you know, everything going well, we're hoping a few years to get it into actual consumer electronics and, um, maybe even more importantly, electric vehicles and grid storage. Um, that's a, you know, a big plus of our technology is the ability to work in any shape or size of lithium-ion battery, whether it be, again, grid storage or on an airplane or, you know, a handheld cell phone. I would guess there'd be an infinite number of sizes for these batteries. Just talk about the is, – does that present uh, an issue where you have to prove that they have to work in – a number of sizes and, and, and applications. Yeah, so the technology, because it's so small and pervasive, we simply just add more of it for larger batteries. Um, you know, it scales with the size of battery. So if you're using, you know, a gram in, uh, you know, in a, a cell phone battery, you'd be using 10 grams in a, in a battery that's 10 times the size. Um but companies have told me that, indeed, we would need to show it in the largest batteries possible. And if it works in those, then it will work pretty much down the line. So we've shown it in small and medium-sized batteries. And now it's just a, a question of capital to be able to make really large batteries and prove the technology in batteries of that size. But from a theoretical standpoint of, and what we've proven it in so far, there's really 
no issue with scaling up in terms of battery size. And if I heard you correctly, you're not talking about inventing a new battery. You're talking about an additive or whatever that can actually be put inside the battery to make this to make this happen, correct? Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, we wouldn't be selling batteries. We'd simply be selling this additive to existing battery manufacturers, which really kind of takes our competition and turns them into our customers. Um, you couldn't really ask for a better situation. But if I was able to take the battery out of your laptop right now, of course, I'd have to do this in a oxygen-free clean room. I could drop in my technology, close the battery back up, and put it back in your laptop. Wow. So uh, talk about just who you've t- talked to. Obviously, you are uh, had to have gotten some, some positive feedback from battery manufacturers. Um, where does that stand? What kind of excitement, interest uh, are you getting from, from the manufacturing side? Yeah, definitely. We've been talking to Samsung and A123 Systems, and they've really been about uh, you know proving the technology out in, the, in their next generation of batteries. Because, again, they're kind of you know, already manufacturing what they're currently manufacturing, but they're getting more aggressive with their next generation. They're having, you know, more, they're getting smaller, slimmer margins on safety and on longevity. And they'd really like us to show the technology in those next generation versions of the batteries. Um, to, and that that's really where they're ex- what they're excited about is being able to take those next generation batteries where they're pushing limits um, and making them less safe and you know, maybe not last as long such that they can save space and weight and get higher initial energy. Um, and, you know, can we mitigate the problems that they're seeing even more so in the next gen than in what we all have right now? Well, what's next for your group? Because it seems like uh, there's always the next thing. You're, I'm sure you're working on the next thing while you're working on this. Uh, we're always cons- constantly amazed at the uh, self-healing materials technology and the places that can be applied. Where are some of the other projects that you can talk about? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm kind of uh, towards the tail end of my PhD right now, and a lot of what I've been working on besides this is more electrically adaptive materials. So think of a material that can change from a you know, a conductor to an insulator on demand um, and, you know, thermally regulated. Uh, So mostly multifunctional materials, materials that can perform multiple things in response to their environment, just like these batteries can kind of respond to heat or to damage. You know, we want to make things that can respond to, you know, heat, damage, um, and, you know, perform different stimuli or even, you know, electromagnetic signals. So, Think about a you know a, a component or a, a wall where you can send a wireless signal to it, and it may maybe it changes shape or changes transparency or something like that. You're almost starting to see a little bit of this with uh, some you know electrically tinting windows um, and stuff like that. So really, uh, you know, those autonomous materials and multifunctionality where you don't need human intervention; it just automatically happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, electrically adaptive materials. There's also a new project coming out of our group for making like carbon fiber composites in a very rapid and easy way. 
Uh, right now, carbon fiber composites, uh, as you may guess, are really expensive. That's why you don't see them in everyday cars or even in a lot of airplanes. It's only really the newest ones where you're getting that carbon fiber composite. It just takes a lot of energy to make them, a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. Um, so our group has recently developed uh, a system that where you can, you know, put a carbon fiber composite together and cure it and give it, you know, all its structural strength with, you know, a, a soldering iron. Just one touch and it goes and it saves huge amounts of energy. And I really see it as something that could, you know, bring carbon fiber composites and high performance materials to everyone, really, you know, expand their use beyond just, you know, expensive cars and airplanes. Well, I think everybody, um, it sounds like we may be a year or two or so off from this technology that we talked about uh, taking shape and being able to see it as the consumer. So in the gap, what advice do you have in terms of to uh, keep your cell phone um, battery lasting longer? What, what's, what, what should we be thinking about doing? Yeah, so I the de- quick charge. Stay yeah, away from the quick yeah. charge. Ideally, everyone's like all about quick charge because they're like, "Oh, I can charge my phone in twenty minutes." That's really bad. Your phone battery will last not not long at all. Um, and they've really been trying to push this in electric vehicles too, because no one wants to sit at a charging station for eight hours. But yeah, the quick charge technology really hurts the batteries. Also, going to the extremes, so it's hard to. It's hard to tell people don't charge your phone to 100%. You know, anywhere between 20% and 80%, your battery will last longer. So don't go below 20 and don't go above 80. But again, these aren't really practical uh, solutions. Uh, So just in the meantime, try not to go all the way down to, you know, that 0% battery. That's really bad for your phone. Quick charge is bad. Um, And in terms of safety, yeah, it's, you know, leaving it charging for a long time and quick charge is also bad for safety or having a lot of apps open at the same time or data intensive apps when you, you can, most say, people can start feeling their, right. <laughs> Your cell phone get a lot, get, get warm pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. And I've actually had a couple of times, so I have an iPhone, um, you know, I'm, I'll be in the sauna or something and on like a data intensive app and I've actually gotten the heat warning where this phone just stops working and it just gives me a, like your phone is too hot needs to wait to, <laughs> to cool down a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I would guess that probably there are some maybe government agencies that are interested, particularly from the safety standpoint. So I, I think that there's a lot of interest out there in this technology and uh, best of luck. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Michael. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It was a great time. All right. That was Tony Griffin from Autonomic Energy Systems uh, talking a little uh, cell phone battery, something that affects all of us. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Thanks for listening to the Illinois Innovators Podcast. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our corpse of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes. Oh,